0: Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight I want to look in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And we'll go over the whole chapter. So yeah, there's going to be a whole lot of scriptures read kind of all at once. Uh, but I mean, you can't really break this chapter up. It's just one big chapter. I mean, it's just one long story, one one big story. It's all about someone who took credit for things that they shouldn't have been taking credit for. You know, I saw a survey uh, or a study uh, a couple years ago. There was a study done by, um, I don't know, it, Monster, it, 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 the, the job site Monster. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore ever since Indeed.com came around or others, but They did this kind of study with workers in the UK, and they asked workers if they ever took uh, credit for something that somebody else did, if they ever took credit for other people's work at their job site. And 7% of the respondents said that they frequently took credit for other people's work, and 3% that at least once, or sometimes, that they took credit for someone else's work. So you got 10% of the workforce in the UK taking credit for other people's work. I wonder how often that happens in the U.S. And, and, and elsewhere. That's probably that. That's not cool, especially if you're the one that did all the work and somebody else is taking the credit for it. That's just not cool. I don't know if that's ever happened to you in the workplace. Um, I know in kind of lately around the Southern Baptist Convention and elsewhere, uh, there's been uh, some shenanigans by some preachers where uh, they plagiarized sermons uh, of other people. So plagiarism of sermons has kind of become a uh, hot topic. I mean, you know, taking credit for a sermon that you didn't write, you know, right? Taking credit for someone else's sermon that they did, you know, all the work. Now, I don't plagiarize sermons, one, because it's wrong, because there ain't nobody else that preaches like me, so I'd never be able to you know, ch- take somebody else's sermon and turn it into one of mine anyway. But you know, it's, it's wrong, so I wouldn't do it anyway. But yeah, well, what might happen is because, okay, so like, I do all my sermon notes in Logos Bible software, and what the software does is, like, you know, I tell it the date that I'm preaching it and where I'm preaching and all that. So after the date that I preach it, it automatically uploads it into the internet to where, well, Faithlife is like the company that that does Logos and other you know other Bible software. So, you know, other preachers have access to, to sermons uh, online through Logos Bible software. So if you ever hear somebody else preaching one of my sermons, just know that I did it first, and they're the ones that stole it from me off the internet. Not that anybody else could preach my sermons either. Just like I couldn't preach theirs, but just you know, forewarn you, it's on there. I don't know if y'all be able to look it up. It's sermons.faithlife.com. I don't know if you'd be able to do it or you have to have the software to do it, but anyway, it's there. You know, taking credit for somebody else's work. Boasting about things that you shouldn't boast about. Um, that's just, that's just wrong. I mean, people, you know, have a tendency to toot their own horn about their accomplishments in life, and that, that's wrong too, but I mean, if you're taking credit for something that isn't something that you didn't even do, that's wrong, and especially if you're taking credit for something that God did. You know, people do have a tendency to boast about things they shouldn't boast about, and that's Pride. And the Bible has a lot to say about pride and bragging and, and how wrong it is. And really, if you look at it, pride, is the root of, of, of sin. But humility is to be the mark of the believer in God. Um, so boasting and taking credit for things you shouldn't take credit for is, is definitely wrong. But it's also highly inaccurate if you're taking credit for things. Because we know that, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. The Father of lights who, who, who gives us every good and perfect gift. And, and so if God gives, you know, he's the one that gives, and he's the one that, that works, well, he's the one that ought to get the credit for it. In fact, God himself, like warns in Isaiah 42.8, he says, look, I am the Lord that is my name my glory i will not give to another nor my praise to carved idols he's not about to give his glory and his praise to anybody else god alone is sovereign he alone has the power and ability nobody else ought to be taking credit for what god does god you know we know the bible tells us that god resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble and uh you know if somebody doesn't let that register if you if you become Prideful, and you start taking credit for things that, that God is, that God did, well, he's going to be the one to serve you some, well, as the saying goes, he'll serve you some humble pie, I guess is, is what the saying, as the saying goes. And we find this with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a very powerful king. But that, didn't, that power did not come from himself. I mean, he thought it did, but it didn't. Because of the, this false belief, that, you know, everything came from him. He had a lesson that he needed to learn. And he learned it the hard way because that's what us humans tend to do. If we need to learn a lesson, well, by golly, we're going to learn it the hardest way that we possibly can. And, and so the, the scripture that we're reading this evening is about that, that lesson. And hopefully we learn that any boasting that we might do, look, if we're going to boast, then let's boast about the Lord. Let's boast about what he has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Let's definitely not boast about ourselves because there's not a whole lot to boast about. So I'm going to read a huge portion right here, verses 1 through 30, and we're going to see the king's vanity. The king's vanity, he was so vain. Now the first three verses kind of is his synopsis. Coming after, you know, this is kind of his summary of what happened afterwards. But it's leading up to that. And so it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I mean, so far, so good. We'd be like, Amen, Hallelujah. Well, now let's read what he had to do to get to that point. Because it sure didn't come at first. So this is what he says, starting in verse 4. At last, Daniel came in before me, he whose name was Belteshazzar, after the name of my God and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation." The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, we might say an angel or heavenly being, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said this, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field let him be wet with the dew of heaven let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him the sentence is by the decree of the watchers the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. The Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the... Beasts of the field found shade and in, in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots on the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven." And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And I'm going to stop there for a second. That's the majority of the chapter. But it's interesting. The chapter is written from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view. Here we have a pagan king declaring what God did. And he's actually declaring what he did wrong. Again, the first three verses, they reflect his view now uh, after the events of the chapter. But it sure was not his view at the time. Which is interesting. Because we know that before this, at least in Nebuchadnezzar's view, he has seen God's power at work at least twice. He saw God's power at work when God gave Daniel the interpretation of the first dream that he had. The dream about the statue, made of all the different, uh, all the different materials and what it meant, looking at all the different kingdoms that were to come. And Daniel was able to interpret that by the power of God, and Nebuchadnezzar knew that it was Daniel's God that gave him that power. But then, in the next chapter, in chapter three, happening happening several years later, his pride got the best of him. You know, this seems to be the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar, and he built a statue. overlaid with gold based upon the dream that he had had many years earlier, his way of saying, well, really, I don't care what God says in the dream, my rule is going to be forever. My kingdom will last forever even after I die. Well, and so he would force or he forced the government officials to bow down to his image. So that, you know, test of loyalty and things like that And there were three who did not, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar got mad, threw them in the fiery furnace, and they were miraculously saved. I mean, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. That's how miraculously saved they were. He saw that at work. He saw God's power on display there, and he still, would not humble himself, he still would not give the glory to God that is due his name. I mean, sure, you know, because after the, well, actually, after both incidents, the one in chapter 2 and after chapter 3, you know, he, he paid some lip service to the God of Israel. He even threatened in, at the end of chapter 3, he even threatened, well, if anybody, we might say if anyone, anybody blasphemes the God of Israel, tears him down, speaks ill of the God of Israel, we're going to burn him and all his stuff up. But he still did not see God as being above him. He added Yahweh to his pantheon of gods. You know, okay, here's a bunch of gods. Hey, Yahweh, we'll just add him to that but it, he still somehow thought that he was even better than his own gods and he was definitely better than Yahweh God he he still had more power than them even with all those gods he had to choose from he didn't give any single one of them credit for his greatness the only person that Nebuchadnezzar would credit for his greatness was nebuchadnezzar himself it was all me he would say and that's what he does in verse 30 here doesn't he look at the city that I built look at everything that I made for my majesty he denied any sort of heavenly authority working on his behalf everything was about how great nebuchadnezzar was everything was about oh look at all that i have accomplished and how great i am and after that's coming out of my mouth the southern baptist convention a couple weeks ago just pops into my head there was a certain certain preacher who took to the floor and started talking about how great he was You think I'm joking? Look it up. Oh, look what I did. I mean, he said it's thanks to the Southern Baptist Convention. But look at all the people that I saved and all the churches that I planted. Look at all the people that I trained. I need to go back to watch that video and see how many times the word I was used. Or we, or look at what I did through my church. You know, taking the credit for what God has done. Frankly, I'm kind of surprised that Nebuchadnezzar didn't, like, get his shoulder out of whack for as much as he patted himself on the back. He was taking credit for what God alone had done, and God did not take kindly to that. God, again, I'll remind you of what I read in Isaiah, God will not share his glory with another He will not share his glory with an idol. He's not going to share his glory with a mere human being. And I say mere human being because we know Jesus Christ is both God and man. Now that's where the glory of God is found. But so because Nebuchadnezzar decided that he is all that, He is given this dream about a tree. And a tree was kind of actually culturally appropriate because in the ancient Near East cultures, a tree was a symbol of power and regal authority of the monarch. This tree reached up to the heavens. It was strong. It provided food and shade for all the animals. But that tree would be cut down. That tree would be stripped of everything. And yet, the stump would remain and would have protection put around it. Again, he was freaked out about having this weird dream. All his magicians and Chaldeans and sorcerers could not tell him the meaning. Don't know why he didn't learn his lesson before, but at least this time, he he got Daniel. And Daniel, again, through the power of God, was able to, to tell him what the dream meant, because the tree represents Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar would be judged for his pride. Nebuchadnezzar would be humbled by God since he refused to humble himself. How would he be humbled? He would literally go insane. He would be given the mind of a beast and he would be out in the field and he would eat grass like a beast. Nebuchadnezzar would go from this Tree that reaches into heaven, this all-powerful tree, and would be brought to the lowest point that could be given to a human being. God was going to give him a lesson about who really rules and reigns. And guess what? It isn't Nebuchadnezzar. God rules and reigns. Nebuchadnezzar is not as great as he thinks that he is. God gives And God will take away those who will not give him the glory. But there does seem to be a chance that he could still kind of change his course before this happens. Because Daniel gives him some advice in in verse 27, doesn't he? Daniel says, okay, listen to my counsel. Let this be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Daniel's saying, look, king, just be humble. Show mercy, be righteous, practice righteousness, follow God. You'll be in good shape. It's all he had to do. And according to verse 29, he was given a year. Even after everything that Nebuchadnezzar did, God in his mercy still gave him a year to repent, to make a change, to give glory to God and not himself. And what does he do after a year? Oh, look at Babylon that I built. Look what I did. All for my majesty. I wonder how many of us go around, oh, look what I've done. Look at me. It's the me show. Look at me. Look at what I've done. It's all for me. So that people will pat me on the back so I don't have to break my shoulder to pat myself on the back. It's all about me. I pray we learn the lesson of humility before God has to humble us. I pray we learn the lesson of humility before we're the ones that are fed some humble pie. Don't be a Nebuchadnezzar. Don't be... Nebuchadnezzar and so you know though we we looked at those first 30 verses it's all about the king's vanity he just well like the song says you're so vain you probably think the song is about you well yeah Nebuchadnezzar did think the song was about him and every other song that there was he was so vain but then we go from the king's vanity to the king's insanity look at verses 31 through 33 The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. The words had barely gotten out of his mouth and judgment came. Nebuchadnezzar's mind was taken from him. He acted like an animal because he was given the mind of an animal, because he would not give God the glory. And so he was grazing grass, his hair grew and was matted, his nails grew to become claws. He was no longer human, his humanity was taken from him. And he was a beast, and God is the one that brought him down. You know, there's a, I actually read somewhere that there's a psychological diagnosis of this kind of problem. If, it's, if I pronounce it correctly, it's zoanthropy. It's a condition where people, I mean, for lack of a better term, go insane and they think they're an animal. And usually, actually, strangely enough, they usually think they're an ox or something like that. But this is no mere psychological problem. This was a judgment of God. You know, it makes me think in, in the book of Acts, it talks about uh, Herod, not Herod the Great, but, you know, one of, one of his descendants. And uh, he, he went to Tyre and Sidon to try and get them straightened out. And he was giving this oratory and, and he thought he was all that. And the people started applauding him. Oh, the voice of a God, the voice of a God. He thought he was all that. He was all prideful. Immediately, he was struck with worms, strangely enough, and he, and he died, all because of his pride. God, obviously, pride is a big deal to God. It's the sin that brought the devil down, is it not? It was pride. And pride is what brought Nebuchadnezzar down. You know, I am just waiting for the vast majority of Hollywood to fall to the judgment of God. My goodness, all them movie stars and music stars and sports stars, they think they're all that. Oh, we're so great. They wonder why people aren't watching their award shows anymore. Why in the world do we want to watch a bunch of prideful elite people pat their own backs? What makes you think and want to see that? Pride. Pride brings a judgment of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar was judged. And it says the king was in this condition for seven periods of time. The problem is it doesn't say what those periods of time are. They could be months, they could be years. And You know, most scholars think it's years. Um, I mean, that could be. But my biggest question is, if he was insane for seven years, how come someone didn't make a power play for the throne? You know what I mean? And how, you know, where was he during that time? And how would people not know that Nebuchadnezzar is off his rocker? He thinks he's an animal. But I don't know. Now one author speculates that it was actually Daniel's love and care for the king that, you know, kind of took care of him. He, he built somewhere for the king to go to, now this is complete speculation, he built somewhere for the king to stay. And in his name, Daniel kind of ruled in his place until he would turn around, but that's all speculation. But because of his pride, the king was humbled. The the king thought he was even greater than God. And then he was made lower than a beast. And it says that this was done to teach him a lesson. That the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar was only as powerful as he was because God allowed it. God gave that to him. And we better remember that everything that we have comes from the hand of God. We don't have, well, look at me. Because I'm so smart in my job, look what I have. Who gave you the smarts and who gave you the job and who gave you what you have? It's God. But God is also merciful in his judgments. God did not keep nebuchadnezzar that way and so you know the king had his vanity and then he went into his insanity but then we see the king's return to humanity in verses 34 through 37 it says at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and i blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I mean, what? An amazing turnaround so here's this prideful pagan king who doesn't even worship Yahweh and God shows him mercy so after these seven periods of time whatever they might be God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to have a moment of sanity where he could look up to heaven ask God for forgiveness and admit that Yahweh God is the Most High God above all others, and that he rules and reigns over everything. He finally admitted, and we saw that in what we read, he finally admitted that everything that he had came from God's hand. And this is amazing to me, because when you read this, Nebuchadnezzar even admits that God even added more to him than what he already had. But this time, at least, he's given God the glory. So he realizes that that God is the one that restored him. I mean, God, God gave everything to him. God took everything away from him. And then God restored and even added more than what he had before. What an amazing God. And now, just like we had at the beginning, we have here at the end, nebuchadnezzar gives praise and glory to god for his power and might for what god has done now whether or not this means nebuchadnezzar like finally came to his senses and believed in in yahweh god you know what we might say is did he come to saving faith or something i mean we 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 don't know did he just think that yahweh was more powerful than the other gods Was he the top of the Pantheon or whatever? We don't know. But we have an amazing story of a pagan king realizing how his pride is wrong and how God is great. And that's something that we all need to take heed to. Some lessons that we can take from this chapter is to give God the credit where his credit is due. We do not steal his glory. We do not take credit for ourselves. Yes, you know what? You may have the talent in a certain area, but who gave you that talent? Who gave you that talent? We have so many musically talented people here. Who gave you that talent? It was God. You say you have this resource to do this or that. Who gave you those resources? It was God. Every single thing, 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 boy, that almost came out real southern. Every single thing that you have came from God. It's based on His sovereignty. It's based on His will, and we have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to boast about. We don't have anything to boast about in our beliefs. We have nothing to boast about in our faith. Paul tells us in Galatians 6:14, "Far be it from me to boast, except." In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, I have nothing to boast about except the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is most definitely true in our salvation. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You have nothing to boast about. You, you didn't save yourself. You didn't give yourself what you have. You, 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 you're not even giving yourself the air that you breathe. God's given that to you. Give him the praise and the glory. So let us pray that we would give him the credit, that we would give him the praise, but that the world would learn to do the same that the world would learn, that Christians would learn that, that pagans would learn that, that atheists would learn that, that these prideful elites I talked about earlier, that they would learn that before it's too late. And So let's pray that we are humble people before God and that he would then be able to work through us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuestHBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry. And on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 AM. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.